0: We are glad you're with us on this Sunday morning. I'm Mike Colombo and this is Postscripts. Each week on the show we discuss news and politics with our news partners at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Joining me in studio is Christopher Ave. He is the national and political editor at the Post and with us from the nation's capital is the paper's Washington bureau chief Chuck Rosh. On Wednesday, President Trump's former personal attorney and fixer Michael Cohen was sentenced by a federal judge in New York to three years in prison for campaign finance violations and lying to Congress. Cohen admitted making illegal hush money payments to women who claimed they had affairs with the president before he took office. Here's how the president responded to Cohen's sentencing in an interview with Fox News.
1: Because what he did was all unrelated to me, except for the two campaign finance charges that are not criminal and shouldn't have been on there. They put that on to embarrass me. They put those two charges on to embarrass me, they're not criminal
2: charges.
3: Anything wrong?
1: Whatever he did, he did on his own. He's a lawyer. A lawyer who represents a client is supposed to do the right thing. That's why you pay them a lot of money.
0: Cohen himself addressed the situation and the president in an exclusive interview with ABC News. Let's take a listen to that.
2: He said in the tweets, he repeated in an interview later on, that basically he says his claim uh, you're lying about him to protect your wife, to protect your father.
0: Inaccurate. He knows the truth. I know the truth. Others know the truth. And here is the truth. The people of the United States of America, the people of the world, don't believe what he's saying. The man doesn't tell the truth. And it's said that I should take responsibility for his dirty deeds. All right, a lot to unpack there. With that in mind, we bring in Chuck Roche in Washington. Chuck, Cohen has implicated the president in campaign finance law violations, and it's brought up the question about the constitutionality of indicting a sitting president. Some have said if it was any other person than the president, they would have already been indicted by now. Your thoughts?
2: Well, you know, there is that uh, point. You can make that point. You know, he says that he knows the truth and the president knows the truth but the problem is we don't know what the truth is and um, you know and so I think it's just gonna have to play out this whole thing is going to have to play out both this investigation uh, you know and then the separate Mueller investigation but uh, you know one could make the claim that if he and 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 one thing we need to remember here is that he says he has tapes he says he has corroborating evidence he says he has a deep well of it uh, and indeed if the prosecutors do have that corroborating evidence that show either the president on tape or allusions to the president being involved in the decision itself, um, then I do believe then the president, uh, you know, could have some serious legal problems, whether or not, you know, he can be indicted or not.
0: Christopher, the interesting look at a contrite Michael Cohen very different than the person who we've seen both fiercely defending the president just a few months ago and the person who we saw and heard attack reporters for some of their, uh, you know, sometimes harsh criticisms of the president. Now he is. Kind of playing the role of martyr here. Yeah, yeah, Michael Cohen, who once said uh, that he would take a bullet for the president now is
1: is um, obviously very critical of the president. Also to be noted is he showed up for his sentencing with his uh, family, uh, a daughter who was using a crutch. Uh, he seemed to be trying to help her. I mean it sort of looked like he was trying to go for sympathy I, and you know that would be a natural human thing to do I suppose. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nasty business all around. I think that to me the main point whether or not this is indictable, whether or not um, the American legal system is equipped to take on a president who breaks the law, I mean that's a question that needs to be resolved. Hasn't been resolved yet. Regardless of that, the president lied He lied to the American people. He stood in that airplane. I don't remember remember this clip, but he stood in that airplane, and the reporters asked him on Air Force One about, did you know about these payments? He said no, and that was a lie. We now know, and President uh, Trump, just like President Clinton lied when he said he didn't have sex with that woman, uh, Monica Lewinsky. That was a lie. So so, uh, this is not good. This is not good for the presidency. It's not good for the country.
0: Late Thursday night, reports surfaced that federal prosecutors are investigating the possibility of illegal donations to the president's inaugural committee and a pro-Trump super PAC to buy influence. Federal law prohibits foreign contributions to federal campaigns, political action committees and inaugural funds. Here's what White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders said about the matter.
2: The biggest thing the president did in his engagement in the inauguration was to come here uh, and raise his hand and take the oath of office.
0: Chuck, with everything else going on, this was the last thing the president needed.
2: You know, it's part and parcel to I think what we've seen all along in these investigations of the president. Um, one could argue that part of the story here, and maybe an undercovered part of the story here, is that. All of these Trump acolytes and others that were circling around and, you know, trying to get, um, you know, trying to get favor and, and curry favor, and you know, it's it's sort of, you know, one could argue the way kind of business is done in New York. Um, so it probably wasn't seen as anything out of the ordinary by a lot of people who maybe were coming in here to try to use connections. And whatever, but you know the, the the problem that we've got here is is twofold. One is that you know he is now the president of the United States. He's not a New York builder, and you know, and all these people that are, that are around him that are, you know, talking to prosecutors and whatever. Now we just really don't know how deep the tentacles are into this. And you know, there were a lot of people who thought maybe that Mueller was about ready to to, to wrap it up, but boy, it certainly doesn't. Over the last week or so. Uh, look like that that's the case.
0: And Christopher, it continues to draw upon this idea of did they know what they were doing was wrong or were they oblivious or a little bit of both? We just don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you're authorizing hush money to cover up an affair, I think most people know that's wrong. The question, though, is more specific than that. It's uh, was it a campaign finance violation of the law. Some say it was. I mean, this clearly was done, the argument goes, to help President uh, then candidate Trump's presidential uh, campaign. Others say, no, 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 this this was easily could be justified by someone trying to protect his family. So uh, ultimately the legal system will have to decide.
0: All right, when we return on this Sunday morning, we will examine the looming government shutdown. The made for TV drama with President Trump, Nancy Pelosi, and Chuck Schumer and what it all means for the country. Welcome back to Postscripts. On Tuesday, the president hosted Senator Chuck Schumer and House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi in the Oval Office. What transpired was a made-for-TV debate over a potential government shutdown and funding for the border wall. Take a listen, we'll discuss it on the other side.
1: You know what I'll say? Yes. If we don't get what we want, one way or the other, whether it's through you, through a military, through anything you want to call, I will shut down the government. Okay, Absolutely. fair enough. And we I disagree. am proud. And I'll we tell disagree. you what, I am proud to shut down the government for border security.
0: And days after saying that he would be proud to own a government shutdown, the president tweeted a video Thursday calling Democrats hypocrites and then saying he doesn't want to shut down after all. Let's bring back in Chuck Rosh, he's a Washington bureau chief for the Post. Chuck, the deadline to pass a spending bill is Friday. Does the deal get done? If so, how?
2: Well, you know, I, I don't know the answer to that question. But let me, let me preface this by saying, you know, this, this whole shutdown could happen over five billion dollars in, in a multi-trillion dollar budget. Uh, based on an issue that this Congress has not been able to solve and that's immigration and we we are we are you know talking about this in in the wake of a seven-year-old girl a young a young girl uh, dying of uh, dehydration and or septic shock or whatever uh, because she hadn't eaten and and uh, dr- drank for several days at our border um, if that kind of imagery is not enough to get, People off the, you know, the uh, the dime here in Washington, and come to some sort of agreement. Then what will I don't know, you know. And so this is an annual exercise. This is the way Congress operates, um, like it or don't like it. Um, they they have these showdowns at, at moments that, you know, seem to have the highest um, attention, you know, of the country. And uh, we may be headed for another one now. Who knows?
0: And amid all that turmoil, the president announced that his chief of staff, John Kelly, was stepping down at the end of the year. Former Greiton strategist and Vice President Pence's Chief of Staff, Nick Ayers, was thought to be a top contender. He declined the offer to succeed Kelly. What does that say about the current state of affairs at the White House, Chuck?
2: Well, I mean, I I never was really all that... Um, you know convinced that Ayers was going to take it Uh, there there, were people a lot of people in this town and he told a lot of people in this town I've been told uh, that he wanted to return to Georgia his family is in Georgia Um, you know he's text he's he's tweeted a lot about his love for Georgia and that sort of thing Um, it it, that that job on a normal day in a semi-normal administration if we ever have one is one of the toughest jobs in the world not just necessarily in this town um, but with all of the chaos now around this White House and the fact that this President really is his own Chief of Staff, um, you know, one can see where it might be difficult to get someone to come in and take the job.
0: And what does it say about Nick Ayers, Christopher, a guy whose political star continues to rise possibly looking at that and saying you know I'm gonna let this bus go on through I'll take a hop on the next one if it comes
1: yeah out. I mean uh, somebody uh, commented I don't remember who uh, you know you know work for a couple hundred thousand dollars and, and have the the uh, scrutiny of the world uh, aimed at you all the time or make however many millions of dollars you want and no one uh, pays attention to you it appears that He took the latter. Remember Nick Ayers helped Eric Greitens get elected as you mentioned in Missouri and there are still some investigations going on that could further implicate uh, Ayers in campaign impropriety. So we may not be done hearing about uh, this young Nick Ayers of
0: Georgia. Mm -hmm. Thursday was a big day in Washington. The Senate voting on Thursday to end U.S. participation in the Saudi-led war in Yemen, then approved a, me- a measure blaming the kingdom's crown prince for the killing of journalist Jamal Khashoggi. Chuck, this action, a rebuke of the president's relationship with Saudi Arabia, explain its significance.
2: Well, the significance is, is there were a number of, not a lot, but some Republican senators who voted along with it, uh, who went along with it. There's a lot of consternation about the way the White House is handled this whole situation with Khashoggi and, um, uh, you know, and sort of the future relationships between the United States and, and Saudi Arabia. You know, one thing I will say is that you know, a resolution is one thing. I mean, cutting off funding and you know, going deeper into the whole issue of you know, uh, arms purchases and other things, which frankly affects our region as well as other regions around the country where we have these big defense contractors, uh, you know, is another step. And so one can say it was a rebuke, um, and it certainly was, um, but it certainly wasn't a divorce uh, from Saudi Arabia e- either. So.
0: And finally on Thursday, Missouri Democratic Senator Claire McCaskill had some sharp words for her colleagues during her final prepared speech in the chamber's floor. Let's listen to a portion of what she said.
2: The United States Senate is no longer the world's greatest deliberative body and everybody needs to quit saying it until we recover from this period of polarization and the fear of the political consequences of tough votes.
0: With about two minutes left, Chuck, I'll ask you first, what is McCaskill's lasting legacy in the Senate?
2: Well, I think she had, you know, she was a she was a raging um, centrist, at least in aspirations. That's what she wanted to be. Now, her critics would say she was a liberal in 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 moderates' clothing. But um, the one thing that I think, you know, we should take away from it is that there was respect for her in this regard on both sides of the aisle. I mean, one of the people that was sitting in the audience uh, when she was there, one of the few Republicans, was Mike Lee of Utah, who's one of the most conservative members. Of the, of the Republican caucus, and he was there to honor her. And she had worked with, tried to work with people like that um, throughout her Senate career. Republicans, you know, attacked her for it, but she, she really did try to reach out to the other side in, in, in areas where she felt there could be comedy. There's just not any, any of that anymore, not much of it. And frankly, a lot of the people that were the biggest practitioners of it, uh, including Senator McCaskill, are leaving the Senate this, this year.
0: Christopher, with about a minute left, I'll ask you. She says that her life and politics, essentially done, won't seek another office. Uh, What do you see on the horizon?
1: Two things. I mean, uh, putting aside whether you agree or not with her politics, she is a hard worker. She cared about the job. She relished especially those parts where she got to chair a committee and grill uh, uh, witnesses who she felt weren't doing the job for the American people. She loved that. Second thing, she was a brilliant political tactician. No one can forget uh, her defeat of Todd Akin, actually her support (laughs) of Todd Akin behind the scenes during the Republican primary. And then when he said the controversial comment, uh, her sweeping into office against most, uh, most prognosticators. Uh, I would say that uh, she's probably the most brilliant politician
0: Missouri has seen in in this current generation, at least. All right, very good. Chuck Rosh, we thank you for your time on this Sunday morning. We will talk to you very soon. Still to come here on Postscripts, Missouri Attorney General Josh Hawley won't hold that office much longer. As he heads to Washington to become a U.S. Senator, we'll examine the controversy surrounding the attorney investigating Hawley's alleged wrongdoing. Welcome back to Postscripts. We're joined in studio by Post-Dispatch Jefferson City Bureau Chief, Kurt Erickson. Kurt, you reported on the controversial attorney investigating the alleged controversy involving outgoing Missouri Attorney General, Josh Hawley. Bring us up to speed on what's going on with this story.
3: Yeah, the Secretary of State, John J. Ashcroft, is looking into whether Hawley illegally or improperly used taxpayer dollars to. Put him into office as a senator. Uh, turns out that the lead investigator in the uh, uh, investigation is a, a Democrat. She uh, formerly worked for a Democratic law firm. She's contributed twenty-four thousand dollars to uh, uh, Democrats, including Claire McCaskill and including Holly's uh, uh, attorney general opponent in 2016, Teresa henley and. Uh, so that said, you know, it raises questions about, uh, you know, partisan balance and all that. Uh, Ashcroft's response was hey, look, I'm trying to make this office bipartisan. It's an election office. I've hired Democrats and Republicans. Her boss is a Republican. Uh, you know, he put out a press release way back in February of 2017 uh, explaining all of this. What was very interesting about the response to that was the Missouri Republican Party then put out a press release uh, and a tweet saying, uh, we think the attorney, Christine Heisinger, should recuse herself. So all of a sudden now you've had, you have this intra-party uh, back and forth between Ashcroft and the Republican Party. My guess is the end result of this is somebody's going to be moved out in the Republican Party. Ashcroft is, I I think they'll protect him.
0: Okay. Uh, You also reported on Missouri Governor Mike Parson's choice for state treasurer. The current treasurer, Eric Schmidt, is taking over the role of attorney general with Holly's departure. Sounds like he'll make his decision before Christmas. What are his options right now?
3: Yeah, I think uh, the the decision should come uh, this coming week. And uh, it looks like it's down to two people. I might, you know, might be wrong, but I think it's down (laughs) to two people. Uh, interviews were held last week, face to face with the governor, uh, Scott Fitzpatrick, he's the chairman of the House Budget Committee, uh, which is one of the most powerful positions in state government. Uh, he's young, 31, uh, from uh, Shell Knob, which is in Southwestern. I know, I've been. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he's one option, I think a top a top option for the governor. And then uh, Representative Holly Rader, she's from Sykeston. Uh, She's been very high profile in terms of trying to get a uh, a prescription drug medicine uh, program put in place to fight opioid abuse. Uh, She's also been high profile on right to work and other uh, sort of anti-union legislation so she's also in the mix. There are a couple others but that's where I'm seeing
0: it going right now. There's a great marina in Shell Knob on Table Rock Lake. They've got good cheeseburgers. Oh, <laughs> is that the big marina? <laughs> I think it's pretty where big. to get yeah. a boat and That's all that? right. Yeah, that's I love right. that place. Uh, okay, we don't have a whole lot of time to dig into what's on tap for the legislative session upcoming in Missouri. Uh, hit me with, uh, very briefly, three things that you'll be looking for.
3: Yeah, I think uh, the Parson agenda is gonna be the interesting thing to see how that comes about because he keeps talking about workforce development. And I don't really know what that means other than he wants to make sure that people in Missouri are trained so that more uh, business owners will bring jobs Mm -hmm. here. Uh, We'll look at some kind of infrastructure or transportation fix. After the uh, proposition lost uh, in November, they're gonna be looking for some way to uh, fix the roads and bridges. And then third, it's going to be interesting to see we've got all new uh, legislative leaders in place. So whether they want to go for more tax cuts or uh, tort reform, who, who knows at this
0: point. All right, it is something we will certainly be discussing with you, sir, at the end of this December, early January, and then yep. the legislative session beginning. All right, thank you very much. Right. So to come here on Postscripts, we'll take a look at what's trending with Christopher Ave. We'll be right back it is trending time christopher
1: first what's up well up mike it was a moment over four years in the making on a stage packed with area politicians and overlooking a crowd of more than a hundred people who had a hand in the project the city of st louis signed 97 acres of land over to the federal government for a new national geospatial intelligence agency headquarters in six years the 3100 employees who work at the st louis arsenal on south mississippi riverfront will move to a new 1.75 billion dollar facility in north st louis trending down down funding for st louis county police the county council voted to cut 4.8 million dollars from the police department even though taxpayers approved prop, prop p a half cent sales tax for law enforcement last year now this has sparked a fight in county government which is already at a loggerheads because the council majority and county manager steve stenger just can't get along county executive steve stenger they're not getting along well at all.
0: And a trend to watch.
1: Well, we're watching Major League Soccer. Uh, the team owners met this week in New York City, and while they made no decision, several said they were very impressed with St. Louis's bid for an MLS team. At least a half dozen cities are vying for a new team, and David Hun breaks down their strengths and weaknesses right now on STLtoday.com or in your Sunday newspaper.
0: All right, Christopher, thank you very much. And we thank you at home for joining us here on Postscripts. Remember to keep up to date throughout the week. Check out stltoday.com and fox2now.com. Game day with Martin Kilcoin is next. We'll see you back here next Sunday for Postscripts.